Hi, this is Kelly. And this is Jenna. And you're listening to ODFM. Today's episode is One Disassociation from Murder. I said that right on the first try. Perfect. (laughs) I can't believe. (laughs) I feel you are associated. (laughs) It was difficult. This story absolutely needs to come with a warning uh, that this is this is not for children or sensitive listeners or anyone who isn't into the details because there is no way to do this story without giving the details. I love details. Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, we're in it for the details. Okay, I I kind of feel like that is a a good uh, warning, blanket warning for all of Mm -hmm. our episodes, especially for the children. Yes, a part of it. Children should never listen. Should never listen. We're going back to 1980. Ooh, we were young. We were very young. Yes, we were very young. Some of our listeners probably weren't even born. (laughs) Anyway. That's okay. okay. They'll keep us young. I don't know if you know this because we certainly weren't old enough to go see it because we were like, what, five and six or something like that. May 9th, 1980 is when the slasher film Friday the 13th debuted in theaters across America. I probably did go see it. At five? Probably, actually. Oh, dear God. I wouldn't doubt it. This explains Mm -hmm. many things. I mean, a little bit, yeah. (laughs) Um, A month later, in a small town in Texas, life imitated art. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, I would have thought it was in Crystal Lake, Illinois. No, it was not. Oh, because I lived close to there for a little while. Yeah, right? Yeah. Crystal Lake, right? Mm -hmm. So this was Friday the 13th. Friday, June 13th. So this is just okay. a month later, right? I also found it strange that, like, why why didn't they release it on Friday the 13th? I know. That's what I was kind of wondering, too. I was like, did you say May 9th? How yeah, no. They, it released on May, because like, I looked it up. I was like, that's weird. Huh. They, uh, like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> Missed I mean, opportunity. total opportunity. Huh. So that was May 9th. And then on Friday, June 13th, 1980, in Wiley, Texas, which is a small suburb of Dallas, I had never heard of this story before. It came to my attention because for whatever reason, 30 years later, they've decided that they're going to make some movies of it. (gasps) One is, I think, going to be on Hulu and the other one's HBO. Yes. And with uh, one of them is going to be, they they have no association with each other, but they're both coming out at the same Mm. time. How weird. Okay. Right? One is going to star Elizabeth Moss and the other one is going to star Elizabeth Olsen. Ah, the Elizabeths. The Elizabeths, right? That's kind of bizarre. It's kind of weird. Yeah. So anyway, so when I was like, what are they talking about? I had to look this up and holy crap. Oh, <laughs> holy yes. crap. There's, there's a lot of things that happen in this story or a lot of things about this story that like are just a little eerie coincidental. Uh-oh. It happened on Friday the 13th, right? Right. This is about Alan Gore. It starts about Alan Gore. So his last Al name Gore. is Gore. No, oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I just thought of Gore as like Oh yeah. The slasher Gore slasher. movie. Slasher. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Friday 13th slasher movie. Totally weird. Alan Gore. So Al Gore. <laughs> right. Alan Gore was away on a business trip and he was very concerned that his wife Betty, who hated being left home alone, was not answering the phone. Uh oh. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Bad sign already. 
He had gone to the airport straight from the office, but he had called her before he boarded the plane around four because he was like, she gets really nutty when when he's gone. So he was trying to reassure her. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. He tried to call her from the airport around 4 p.m. She didn't answer the phone, but he figured she was out for a walk with the baby. Okay. They had two children, Elisa, who was six, and Bethany, who was 18 months old. Oh, man. So, but, you know, four o'clock, you know, they're doing stuff, right? Yeah. And this is pre-answering machines and all that kind of stuff. Oh, so yeah, right. When they got married 10 years ago, Betty would get so upset by being left alone, even for a single night. He assumed it was because they he had moved her away from her family in Kansas and they settled down near Dallas for his job. Okay. And he but he took a job where he had to travel for like oh. three or four days here and there for business yeah. trips. And he figured, you know, it's she's just not used to it. But instead, it just got to the point where Betty would literally break down in tears just at oh, the no. mention of an upcoming trip. Oh, good Yeah, Lord. it was bad. Her anxiety was- Yeah, through the roof. Off the charts, right. That's not good. It's like she had a premonition. Yeah, right? Ooh. So uh, Betty was diagnosed with depression shortly after becoming pregnant with her first daughter, Aww. which is which happens. Oh, you know, absolutely. Sometimes it's not postpartum. Sometimes oh, it's no. prepartum. Oh, yeah. She had severe postpartum after she gave birth to their first daughter. And then for the next few years, she was in and out of doctor's offices with various complaints about headaches and sinus infections, stomach issues. Oh, that just sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah, A lot of things that the doctor diagnosed is like anxiety induced or Mm -hmm. stress reduced. So Mm -hmm. literally her anxiety was making her physically ill in different ways. So not that it was like... um, it wasn't like she was imagining it or making no, it up. No, it was, it just, was manifesting. Know, through exactly. Different... That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Alan traveling for work and leaving Betty home alone now with a baby just oh God, intensified yes. everything, Ugh, right? It's so Ugh. hard. I had that same kind of experience. Oh, God. It's really, yeah. Exhausting. You know, everything always happens when you're home by yourself. Oh, my gosh. Like today that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. At one point. A few years back, when Alan was on a two-month-long trip to Switzerland. Oh, not fair. I've yeah. been like, dude, I don't care. I'm coming with you. Right, exactly. Two so, months. Two months, right? <sighs> Betty called his boss to complain about how much he traveled. Oh. And Alan had to cut his trip short and turn his work <laughs> over to somebody else to finish. Oh, my God. And I'm like, okay, wow. so this is 1980. This is... yeah. Uh, that must have been mortifying. Like, oh, I can't like, even imagine. Right. Holy cow. She's like, okay, I'm going over your head. You are not listening uh, yeah, to me. Exactly. So I'll like, make this change. Damn. Damn. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> she was serious. Although she never fully recovered from the depression after her first pregnancy, Betty meticulously planned the conception of their second child. To ensure the baby would be born during the summer when school was out. Betty was an elementary school teacher. Oh, cute. And so I know I, I know a lot of teachers. And yeah, it's easier if you can give birth in the summer yeah. than have to find a sub and all that kind of stuff, right? So, and obviously she's very anxiety driven. So she's yes. very so she's like, I want meticulous be... about planning. She was she was very much a planner. She wanted to be very prepared. Alan had hoped, uh, so this is Alan now, like calling home to check on her. He was hoping this time it wouldn't be so traumatic because next week they were going on their first child-free vacation in a long time to Europe. Oh, how great. Right? She's probably looking forward to it so Right. So he's hoping she's going to focus on that and getting ready for the trip because she likes to plan. Yeah. Look forward to something. you think about that. Don't worry about the fact that I'm gone. Right? Right. 
So, uh, and maybe she won't dwell on the fact that she's home with two kids while he's out. Oh, she needs friends. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's so hard to do without people. Oh, oh my, yeah. You, I did it's the, the same. That whole village thing. Yeah, it really mm-hmm. does. Yeah. So, but it also seems from what I read about her, she didn't make friends easily. She just wasn't as outgoing. She wasn't as sociable. So it's, it's so much harder. It makes it so much harder. It makes it so much harder. So that morning before Alan left for work, Betty was despondent and then irritated. Yeah. Not just because he was leaving, but because her period was two weeks late. Oh, no. Right. And if she was pregnant, not only would it spoil the vacation in Europe, (gasps) but it would also mess up her teaching because this baby would be born during the school year. So she was just, she was stressed out, right? She was not in a, in a good place. It's now 7.45 PM. And, um, Alan is in his hotel room in St. Paul, Minnesota. So he's nowhere near Texas. Yeah. He let the phone ring 15 times before hanging up. Uh Nobody had answering machines Mm -hmm. and stuff. That was not No, that was the rich people. I remember a couple people having them at that time. And she would never leave the house without telling anyone. Like she would have said something to somebody about going somewhere if it was evening. Like she she wouldn't leave the house by herself. Oh, God. So he dialed the operator and had her dial the number just to make sure, like, am I getting it right or whatever? Is something wrong? Is the line not working? Didn't matter. Uh So then he uh, dialed the operator and asked for the number of his next door neighbor, Richard Parker. And when he answered, he asked Richard if he would go knock on the door and see if Betty was home. Yes. And Alan waited on the phone. Richard ran next door. He knocked, rang the bell, got no answer. And he was like, sorry, she must be out. So next, Alan called the home of Candy Montgomery. This was a friend that they knew through church. Their daughter, Elisa, was friends with her daughter, Jenny. And Elisa had spent the night at the Montgomery house the night before. Because it's summer vacation now. Okay, so that's a good resource. Yeah. He told Candy that he'd been trying to get a hold of Betty, but there was no answer at home. Had she talked to her? And Candy said that she actually saw Betty in the morning because she stopped by the house to pick up Elisa's swimsuit. And Alan asked if Betty mentioned having any plans or doing something that day. And Candy said no, but there had been a change of plans. Jenny wanted Elisa to stay another night and go to a movie with them. So Candy dropped by the house to get Elisa's swimsuit and a change of clothes. Did they go to the Friday the 13th movie? No, they went and saw Empire Strikes Back. Oh, sweet. Mm, Uh. Which is way more my speed than, you know. um, I'm I'm more the Friday the 13th. Okay. I will tell you, I did go see Empire Strikes Back in the theater when I was five. Do you remember it? I remember being nervous about Yoda. I had heard about Yoda and I was worried he was going to be creepy. And I remember my dad saying, and I was getting nervous when they were like in the, like, on Dagobah and it was all like eerie and, and, yeah. and, you know, foggy and stuff. And I was getting nervous and my dad told me to close my eyes. So I closed my eyes and I heard Yoda start talking and he goes, who does that sound like? And I'm like, it sounds like Grover. And he goes, you can open your eyes. It's okay. And from that point on, Yoda was my favorite. Like, I love Yoda. He's How can Yoda. you not love Yoda? I know. He so, did sound like Grover. <laughs> he did sound right. I love <laughs> so Grover. It was like, okay, it's cool. I can deal with that. Oh, that's so, yes. cute. So I can Meanwhile, understand I'm being... at the slasher movie <laughs> watching. <laughs> you're in front of 13. Wow. <laughs> Me, I'm starting to become a Star Wars geek. So. Oh, hey, shout out to Sophia, who listens to our podcast, who is also a very big a Star Wars fan. Star she Wars. Can, I was waiting for you to say Star Wars or Slasher. I wasn't sure which thing uh, Star Wars. Yeah, oh, she, yeah. Every time I get something in the shop that's Star Wars, she's she's into it. So. Yes. I, know. I like her. I know. She's <laughs> awesome. We'd love her. Okay. So they were going to go see Empire Strikes Back 
And she said, Betty was fine with that. Betty seemed fine. She was in the middle of sewing something and seemed to be kind of preoccupied with going back to sewing. Alan asked if he could speak to his daughter to see if she knew if Betty had mentioned anything. Elisa didn't know anything. Candy asked if Alan wanted her to go to the house and check on Betty and the baby, but he said, no, he'll, I'll ask a neighbor. Yeah. She didn't live near. Oh, yeah. And then she'd have to pack up all the kids probably. Right. Um, she wasn't like, she wasn't like the next, I think she actually lived in the next town over. So oh gosh. Yeah. They weren't, yeah. They weren't like neighbor neighbors. Alan reluctantly joined his colleagues for dinner because it's dinner time there. They haven't done that yet. But he asked the front desk to forward any calls oh, smart. to the restaurant just in case. Before dessert, he went to a payphone and tried calling home again. Wow. Oh. And then he returned to his room at 10 p.m. and tried again. And this was well past Betty's typical bedtime. Yeah. Oh, she's So, so he he's getting desperate now. Yeah. So he calls his neighbor, Richard Parker, again. This time he asks if Richard would look out back and see if Betty's car was in the garage. Oh, smart. Richard went out, just peeked over the fence at their garage, and came back on the phone and said he only saw one car in there, the garage door was open and the lights are on in the house. Oh, oh. So he's like, well, that's weird, but it looks like Betty went somewhere. Isn't home. Yeah. Right. So the lights are on. Oh, Alan yeah. found this really strange. And he was like, you know, she never leaves the garage open. So he was worried maybe there was some kind of an accident with the baby. Oh. So and she like rushed out of there or something. So Alan asked uh, Richard to get him the number for the police and the local hospital. And he called both of them, but neither one of them had any information on Betty. Panicked, he called Candy Montgomery again to see if by any chance uh, she had called there. And again, Candy offered to go and check the house, but Alan said, no, it's all right. I'm going to call Richard Parker again. <laughs> poor, poor Dick. Um, who was getting kind of irritated. Yeah. Now. He was like, what the frick, right? <laughs> but he was like, please, please go over to the house, check all the doors, check the garage. Maybe Betty left, left a note, right? Okay. Yeah. So Richard's He's getting irritated, but he's like, okay, I can tell this guy's getting really panicky, right? Yeah. So he walked over, and at, when he actually walked next door, he realized that there were actually two cars in the garage. Oh. It's just that Betty drove a small, a little Volkswagen rabbit. Rabbit? Oh, and those she, are cute. Yeah. yeah. And she had pulled in so far that he yeah, didn't he see, it see it when it. he was just looking from far away. Behind the other car. Okay. That makes and sense. And he was like, okay. So then he went back to the phone. He's like, Alan, I think something's wrong. Both cars are here, but the house is eerily quiet. All the lights are on and he knocked on the utility room door. So I guess the front of the house faces the streets and then the garage is in the back. It's, it's attached to the house, but the garage faces the alley behind them. Oh, gotcha. And so you can actually go from the kitchen into, they called it a utility room Mm -hmm. around here. We would call it like a mud room Yeah, where they had like the washer and dryer and then you could go straight into the garage. All right. So he went into the garage and knocked on the utility room door. Nobody answered, but he could see light coming from under the door. Oh, God. So he's like, okay, the lights are on even in the utility room. Like, what? Yeah. What is going on? Alan goes, I need you to get in the house any way you can. Oh, Right? Wow. Just take down my number at the hotel and call me back. And Richard actually had sold the house to the Gores a few years before, and he had oh. realtor keys. Oh, I didn't well, know that's that you handy. could add, like, right. I didn't know that they used to have that, so that he just yeah. had, like, a set of, like, That's like, handy and key. creepy as fuck. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, right? So he was like, all right. So he goes to find his realtor keys, right? Because he's like, well, I'll try to, you know, maybe I I have a key that'll open the door. In the meantime, Alan's freaking out. And he could tell that Richard was being hesitant. And he was also kind of like, how did he not notice that there were two cars before? So he's like not really trusting him. And he's really freaking out, right? So he calls directory assistance for Jerry McMahon, who's a coworker who lived across the street. Oh. (laughs) So (laughs) 
Jerry went and knocked really loudly on the utility room door in the garage. He tried opening a sliding glass door on the side of the house. It wouldn't open. He looked in the windows. He rang the bell. Oh, man. He comes home. He tells Alan, all the lights are on, but it doesn't seem like anyone's home, but nothing looks like wrong. And Alan goes, break in any way you can. Oh, man. So Jerry's wife is like, okay, I'm freaking out, right? So she's yeah. like, please don't go there by yourself. So Jerry calls another neighbor. Oh, geez. Let's get Lester the whole neighborhood Gaylor. in. Right. So the whole neighborhood's getting like, it's getting crazy, right? And says, Lester, can you come help me too, right? <laughs> okay. So Jerry and Lester meet outside and Richard's walking over with his ring of keys, right? And they're yeah. all very uncomfortable with the idea of breaking into their neighbor's house. Oh, even totally. though he told them to. Yeah. They're just like, this is, yeah, this we're is not weird. cool with this, right? So Richard goes to the front door and he's trying, he's got this giant key ring and he's trying oh, one by one to open the door, right? Like the, the other two guys key. are like, yes, the other two guys are looking at the windows. Can we pry one of these? Like, what do we do? And then as Richard goes to put one of the keys in, the door opens. So it wasn't actually locked. It oh, was just they closed. didn't even, oh. <laughs> they didn't try the door. <laughs> like all this, they didn't even try the door. So he goes That's to put funny. the key in and he just kind of pushes open. He was like, uh, oh. oh, crap. So they're like, okay, Richard yells out for Betty a couple times, doesn't hear anything. So all three men go into the foyer, Lester and Richard go left down the hall to the bedrooms. It, everything was illuminated because there were lights on. So the, the door to the hall bathroom right there was open and the lights were on, but all the bedroom doors were closed. Oh, So Lester stops at the first bedroom, opens it up and flips on a light, child's bedroom, nothing unusual, Okay, all fine. He goes to the next bedroom, opens the door and flips on the light. Oh. There in the crib is the baby Bethany <gasps> and she is screaming. Aww, she is sweaty and Aww. red faced and messy hair and she is covered in her own feces. Oh no. Baby. So this child and she her her voice was all raspy. Aww. Like she has been, She'd been crying screaming for, a long for time. hours, right? <sighs> so Richard goes, picks up the baby, and Jerry in the meantime looks in the bathroom. And sees dark caked substance on the tile oh. floor. And he tells the other two men, something's definitely wrong. Something's uh, yeah. not right. So Richard takes the baby and he goes home to his house next door to give the baby to his wife. Yeah. Right. And he go and he tells her to call the police. Oh, good. Jerry and Lester start checking out. They, they go check out the master bedroom. Everything's cool there, right? Okay. So then they start searching the other side of the house. Oh, geez. Where they start to notice a... Really nasty, pungent odor oh. is getting stronger. And it's not one of them. It's, <laughs> you know, it, they didn't specify. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was like, well. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had Taco Bell. <laughs> My bad. My wife made enchiladas. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Lester walked through the kitchen to the door of the utility room that connected the kitchen to the garage, right? Okay, yeah. The door was closed. He started to open the door glimpsed an ocean of congealed <gasps> blood on the floor and just quickly shut it and said, she's dead. Oh my God. Jerry walks over, you know, sees the look on, on, uh, on Lester's face uh. and is like, I got this. Opens the door, uh. peers in, sees how much blood there is and just closes it and goes, she's blown her head off. <gasps> oh, um, but neither man actually saw her body. They just saw, a ton of blood. Lots of blood. <laughs> and just oh. panicked, right? Lester starts to walk over to the phone, but before he gets to it, it starts to ring. Nah! 
Uh, that that would have made me scream yeah, in a, in a slasher movie, movie right there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I already saw that. Um, that's that's where I would have like jumped a mile, and my mm-hmm. husband would have started laughing at me. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's like, ah, ah, shut up. <laughs> so um, he picks it up, and it was Alan. And Lester oh, didn't know what to say. No. So Jerry takes the phone, and he goes, "The baby was fine. Mm-hmm. Oh God, but it looks like Betty has been shot." Why are they going straight to assuming what killed her? I'm sorry. Did well, I say that? Good point. Yeah, that, that <laughs> so, came out. That came out. Did I, I say that? It. Sorry. <laughs> Alan, shocked and confused and says, how? We don't even have a gun. Uh, okay. Jerry lets Alan know they called the police and said, do you know where Elisa is? Elisa's not in the house. Oh, and he yeah. was like, oh, Elisa's fine. She stayed at a friend's house. Friends, so the three yeah. men said that they would wait until the police arrived. Okay. Oh, gosh. Alan, still in shock calls his colleague that he's doing oh. the business trip. I almost said vacation. He's on the business trip with. <laughs> right. Tells him what happened. Oh, God. Then he calls Candy Montgomery and says, Betty was dead. The neighbors found her and it looked like she had been shot. He. This is like a bad game of telephone. Like a really <laughs> it bad It really game. is, right? Oh. He starts to break down on the phone, telling her that Betty had been really upset lately, but he never thought that she would hurt herself. Uh, he's assuming that she that she committed suicide did it to too, herself yes, because of the right? depression and stuff depressed um, yeah all the stuff right but she, i don't know with a baby i just can't see right the baby there oh yeah. god so he tells candy can you please keep elisa until he gets back from minnesota and don't tell her what happened oh, until god, i can no. get there because yeah. i, I want to tell her myself Whew, i thought we yeah. might need a quick break here yeah because that was kind of oh that's a it's lot. Gonna get, it's going to get rougher. It's going to get rougher? God mm. damn. Mm-hmm. Do you own a small business or make cool and unusual handcrafted items? We love artists and small business owners, and we would be stoked to help get the word out about yours. Consider advertising with us through this podcast. It's super affordable, and our podcast reaches every corner of the U.S., even worldwide. To find out more, visit otfmpodcast.com and click on the Advertise With Us link. Let's get your creativity into the hands of people who would love it. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I think so. I don't know. Is the phone going to ring? Because I'm scared now. Yeah, I don't think the phone is what you got to worry about. No? Oh, God. Okay. See, that's scary enough to me. I don't like phones. So just the phone ringing <laughs> phone is plenty. The phone is what you're worried about. <laughs> like you also are having nightmares about Visine bottles, too, True. Aria. Oh, yes. <laughs> All the time. Oh. oh, God. Okay. Police arrive to find a gruesome scene straight out of a horror movie at the Gore Home. Oh, that is bad. Right? Yeah. A gory scene at the gore home. The gore, the gore scene at the gore home. (laughs) Everything in the utility room, the washer, the dryer, freezer, and cabinet were covered in blood. Oh my God. Betty lay face up on the utility room floor in a huge, thick pool of blood. Her head was closest to the kitchen. Her feet were pointed towards the garage. It was like a long, narrow, Oh. oh, what was it? I think they said it was like, um like six by 12. It was like, oh, it was almost yeah. like a hallway, right? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Not a lot of room in there because there's like a freezer and there's a, you know, yeah. washer and dryer and all dryer. this. It was, you know, the elbow of her left arm had a cut so deep <gasps> it was almost severed. Oh, oh, that's awful. There were deep gashes in her arms and legs. Oh, God. 
but her wounds had stopped bleeding and the bl- the blood around her was congealed. So she'd, <gasps> she'd been there a while. Been there a while. <sighs> she had a lot of wounds. So she had bled. She had fought too. It's a lot. Okay. Yeah. Her left eye was wide open. Oh God. Her lips were slightly parted and the entire right half of her face was gone. No! What? <laughs> yeah. Uh-uh. I told you it was going to Where'd it go? It's going <laughs> I don't know where it's it went. It's in the room! Oh, God! Oh, well, at least uh, I didn't keep it. A few feet away from her head, partly under the freezer, was a three-foot-long wood-handled axe. <gasps> oh! <my God. laughs> Priceless, right there. <laughs> that gave me chills, girl. So, no see, Friday the third, Friday yes. the thirteenth, killed with an axe. Oh God, that's the gore house. I can't imagine anything scarier. <gasps> okay, okay, okay. Here's a couple other fun things on the kitchen table. <laughs> fun things because the, la- the last <laughs> stuff was so fun. <laughs> sorry, more fun. I should use a different word. Uh, more interesting tidbits. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Oh, On the kitchen table, a newspaper was opened up to the entertainment section, which featured an article reviewing the movie The Shining. Oh, shit. Which also had an axe. Also has an axe, right? <sighs> that was weird. <sighs> In the hall bathroom, they found dried blood on the bath mat, soap dish, wall tiles, and tub. Evidence that the killer showered before leaving. Oh, Jesus. And so word quickly traveled through the small town that a psychopathic axe murderer was on the loose uh, in the area. Yeah, that likes to use your shower. <laughs> Who also uses your shower? <laughs> What's sure worse? you got good soap on Get hand. Out of my sh- Hey, yeah. I, no, I don't like to germs. I don't like to no, share my don't soap. share. No, so, <laughs> liquid, liquid soap. <laughs> liquid, right. Oh, gosh. Whew. As they searched the house, officers also found a spiral notebook with what appeared to be letters written from Alan to Betty. On the last page of the notebook, there was a letter that read, Our marriage has changed a lot since our weekend. Before the weekend, I did an awful lot of thinking and worrying about what I was getting out of our marriage and whether or not you were doing things for me. Hmm. This weekend showed me that what I needed to do was focus on you and us instead of me. I have really tried to do that. I have found that it is even fun to help you without complaining. (laughs) Gee, thanks. Wow. Wow. You're a giver, hmm. aren't you? We talk more when I do. I also (laughs) found that I can place you, us, and our family ahead of my job and other activities and still be successful in them. What? Oh, epiphany. Revelations (laughs) galore. (laughs) It's the dialogue that does it. Because when we don't, I feel myself slipping back to thinking about me instead of you and us. We have got to get back to our regular everyday dialogue schedule. I love you. And <laughs> Can we schedule our talks? Right. Let's, that is we need romantic. to schedule something. Well, you know, she does like to plan. That's true. So maybe she likes the scheduled talks. Can we have a scheduled dialogue? Please? Yes. Let's have let's let's schedule some dialogue if we can. <laughs> I know. I'd be like, oh, rejected. Yeah. Police also collected a bloody fingernail from the living room (gasps) carpet. (laughs) Numerous, numerous blood samples and a clump of hair from the bathtub. (laughs) That's probably been there. Photos of a bloody thumbprint and several bloody footprints from the utility room. So they have a thumbprint and they have footprints. That's good. But it's 1980. Well, they could still yeah. analyze that stuff. Okay. So they made two conclusions. One, 
from the scene, they did not believe it was premeditated. And two, the bloody footprints were too small for a man. They had to be from a woman or a kid. Oh, God. (laughs) You know what it made me think of was Gage in Cemetery. cemetery. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was one that messed me up. That That messed me up. I should never. He was so cute. And then you. Yeah. That messed me up, too. The Achilles heel thing. Yes. Yes. Horrifying. Horrifying. I still check under no, my car. When I know. I, <laughs> when I, like it's Ooh, nighttime it's so and I'm by myself. I'm like, I'm just going to peek. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway. Whew. Dr. Vincent DeMaio. I think it's, it's D-I-M-A-I-O. Yeah. DeMaio. Uh, Sounds good. Senior medical examiner in Dallas County was sure the murder had to have been a sexual crime based on the severity of the, the attack. Hmm. He was like, this was like a, like a brutal attack, right? Betty Gore had been struck 41 times in the head, wow. hands, arms, torso, and thighs. Shit, someone had some stamina. Uh-huh. And almost all of her wounds had been inflicted while she was alive. Oh, no. God. Based on the bleeding and the bleeding out. Oh, that's awful. So there was a very important book written about this called... Evidence of Love, A True Story of Passion and Death in the Suburbs. Wow. (laughs) So a lot of my material came from this because it was a very good source of information, right? This is an excerpt. And I just was like, I'm just going to read this because it was beautifully done. Because it was so good. Okay. On the left side of the face, he found... Oh, and if you're eating something, I would stop right now. (laughs) Just to our listeners, I wouldn't... And you don't worry about dinner. Now's a good time to stop. Yeah, don't. Yeah, you're good. (laughs) no no meals needed tonight on the left side of the face he found three horizontal blows of various sizes suggesting they were struck unlike the six vertical ones while the head was still alive and moving oh on the right side of the head near the top he found a couple of odd shaped curved wounds not especially deep again indicating they resulted from glancing blows struck during a struggle he still hadn't found a wound that looked fatal. With the next wound, all became clear. Near the curious curved wounds was a huge gaping wound that ran almost all the way across the top of the head from ear to ear. <gasps> oh my God. After cleaning away the hair and blood, he ah! could see that it had been produced by at least seven blows. Jesus Christ. The same uh-huh. thing. Same oh spot. Yeah, the same spot. Oh Chopping. It's like a wood chopper. Yeah. They were so deep and had been struck with such force that they had penetrated the skull and gone all the way to the cranial vault, causing a portion, a good portion of Betty Gore's brain to seep out onto the floor. Oh, yeah. This, this was a very violent scene. God. DeMaio now had two groups of blows that could have killed Betty Gore. But he was still not finished. Oh, no. Good God, dude. Turning the body over, he found a group of three more deep chop wounds across the back of the head. (sighs) And for the first time that morning, his skin crawled. Oh, even his. Right. Two of the wounds were pointed at the top, but squared off at the bottom. DeMaio could only think of one explanation that the axe had been swung with such force that it stuck inside the head. (laughs) That meant the killer would have had to 
wiggle it back and mm-hmm. forth as when does when chopping wood to remove it from the bone before oh. swinging it again. Oh. That was what I was envisioning. Or I was even envisioning like, <gasps> you know, how you put your foot on the wood. Oh, yeah. <gasps> to get some leverage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The third blow was so deep and aimed at such a soft part of the skull. Oh, God that it had invaded the cerebellum and could have killed by itself. Oh, good freaking God. This person is. Yeah, this was. This was. a Yeah, there was serious overkill. Serious overkill. This is why I couldn't kill anybody. Like, I I don't think I could handle (laughs) the mess. No, I can't handle the mess. (laughs) I can't handle the mess. I mean, it's not because I care. It's because I know. It's Ooh. because of the mess. It's too much. Do you need a break? Yeah, right? I'm taking a drink. Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. That's a- the police determined that the last person to see Betty alive was probably Candy Montgomery. Alan had told the police that their six-year-old daughter had stayed over at the Montgomery home the night before mm-hmm. and that Candy had gone to the Gore home to pick up Elisa's swimsuit and ask if she could stay an extra night. Yes. Also, a five-year-old neighbor girl had seen a woman leaving the Gore's house that morning and drive away in a station wagon. Candy Montgomery drives a station wagon. Okay. And then she knocked on the door so that she could ask if Elisa could play, but no one answered. But she could hear the baby screaming inside. Oh, no. So does Candy have pretty strong arms and back? Good at swinging an axe? Um, Candy, I will post pictures of Candy, but the best way to describe Candy, Uh I feel is stripper no oh, oh no, no 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 oh i thought no, the no. name no no, no. this went. woman is involved in the church she oh, is okay. um she the church is stripper she's a church stripper right <laughs> no she wasn't like a classic beauty or anything okay she reminded me of do you remember jane fonda in nine to five with the big glasses <laughs> yes, and the curly hair yes okay and then do you oh. remember the movie tootsie oh yes oh okay she was kind of like a cross oh, between no. Dustin Hoffman is Tootsie. <laughs> you know, the curly hair, the big glasses. Oh, oh my. Okay. Skinny. Oh, yeah. Meek looking, yeah. I guess, even. Yeah. Okay. That was candy. Okay. Right? Olive oil. Yeah. She sounds Olive wonderful. oil. Yes. Right? Hot, Hot too. Hot. <laughs> okay. So the Sunday after the murder, which happened to be Father's Day, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the murder happened on Friday the 13th. Sunday oh, was Father's Day. Jesus. Whew. Police interviewed Candy about her visit with Betty. She told them that she arrived around 10 a.m. Betty had been sewing, that they chatted for a while. And then Candy went to the utility room to grab Elisa's swimsuit. And then Betty went to go grab a towel. She said the visit lasted about 15 minutes. Okay. And everything was fine when she left. Police asked what type of shoes she'd been wearing. Oh. And she said she was wearing blue tennis shoes with rubber oh. soles. I thought and it was going like, to be okay. jelly shoes. No. <laughs> All day. I don't know if those were out yet. Oh, uh, maybe not. That might have been. Later. I don't think those were right. Yeah, darn. She agreed to bring in the shoes to match them against the footprints found at the crime scene, but they were not gym shoe, like tennis shoe oh, type footprints. But they were loafers. Right. Before she left, one of the investigators asked if she would be willing to be hypnotized to see if it could help her remember anything wow. that would be helpful. That's a big jump. Okay, let's leap straight to hypnotism. She was like, "Yeah, whatever I got to do to help." Oh, good. You know, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good. The following day, police brought Alan in again for questioning, looking for any information that could lead to anyone who would have a motive to kill Betty. Right. They grilled Alan about the state of their marriage, and he assured them that while there had been difficult times, their marriage was improving, 
because they had just gone to this program at the church called The Marriage Encounter. Oh, ah, that sounds a little oh, yeah. alien. Right, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like a little you're scary. Being, yeah, but you we've got, been having really, really... Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I see why it's so successful. Right? It was like a weekend retreat through the church to, you know... <laughs> to probe each other. <laughs> to probe. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the name sucks. <laughs> but... <laughs> We've had a lot of dialogue lately. So we had a lot of, right. We've had a lot of dialogue. We've Ugh. been getting along much better with our dialogue. Yeah. He said that it made a huge difference in their relationship. It made such a difference that Betty even became um, like involved in the marriage encounter oh. program, like wow. helping other couples and being like a, okay. I don't know, like a sponsor a or something. Or yeah. Right. Yeah. Like a mentor. <laughs> sponsor like they're drinkers. Right. <laughs> yes, I'll be your sponsor. I'll be your sponsor. Alan did admit that about a year after they had been married, Betty had had a one night stand with a college student. Oh, well, wow, Betty. You right. Frisky little Saucy. gal. Saucy. Yeah. Saucy wow. little minx. So, <laughs> but Alan said that he had never had any extramarital affairs. Okay. So he leaves. The next morning, very early, Alan Gore calls the detectives and admitted that he actually had had an affair. Oh, I, I just. Didn't want to put that in there. Didn't yeah, want it he didn't want down. to tell them then, but he was cool with calling them the next day over the phone and going, yeah, I kind of actually did. Oh, interesting. With Candy Montgomery. <gasps> oh, I smell motive. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's take a little break for a second because the story is about to get interesting. All right. Oh, God, you're good at picking these that like the best friends are. I, I am friends. finding some weird shit. Yeah. Oh. Mm hmm. And now a word from our sponsor. Revolution Beauty is affordable and accessible makeup for all. Since day one, Revolution has been challenging beauty norms and championing diversity. All products are 100% cruelty-free and designed based on consumer feedback. So Revolution has something for every skin type and any occasion. That's awesome. Yes, they have this head-to-toe foundation, which like Ooh. I literally need foundation for my entire body to hide <laughs> My whole, I mean, my whole body. <laughs> we need to use a little more smoke and mirrors going on here. We need yes. to, you know, I, I feel you. I need some stuff for um, my face because of maskne. That's. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. That's yes. wonderful. It's Love so that. fun. They do. They have the oils, they have cleansers, and it's all super affordable. That's fantastic. So we're teaming up with Revolution Beauty to give you 20% off your next purchase by using the code PODGO20. So that's P-O-D-G-O-2-0 at revolutionbeauty.us. Check out the link in our show notes and join the revolution today. I'm joining the revolution. I'm joining the revolution. Yeah. Keep your friends close, your enemies closer, and your best Apparently. friends under very close eyes. I guess so. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Two years before the murder, mm-hmm. back in 1978, Candy Montgomery, a married mother of two, was bored and decided that she needed to spice up her life with an affair. Oh, and that's what <laughs> she chose. She could have gone skydiving she, or, There's you so know. many hobbies you could pick yeah, up. But I think I'll just go but have sex with the stranger. She decided she needed to have sex with somebody else, right? Okay, fun. Which, personally, I thought really weird because, I mean, I, I guess I just assumed that People find themselves attracted to somebody and have an and affair. And that's how they do it, right? They don't go, you they know what I'm going to do today? 
I'm going to have an affair and then look around and see who that part person totally. could be. Like, was like that they planned so, it ahead is not something you usually weird. hear about. <laughs> you, know, you, don't, you don't usually decide okay. to have one. Yeah. And, and then, then a, I, I just thought that was weird. Okay. All right. Whatever. Premeditated affair. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> so one day on the very romantic church volleyball court, Oh. Where they were playing a game. Well, there's a lot of bouncing balls. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And her ball bounced right into. <laughs> oh, my. Peter. Alan, oh, wait. Alan Gore's ball. <laughs> where did I get Peter from? I don't know. Our <laughs> last the balls. <laughs> um, So she bumps into Alan Gore. You know, they kind of like both go mm-hmm. for the same ball. And she decided, here's the one. Uh, she was also I, not <laughs> classically attractive. I but like she balls. decided. <laughs> <laughs> I like your balls. Let's go play with some balls. So she starts to look at him. I read somewhere something like she bumped into him and she thought he smelled sexy. Ew. <laughs> is that B.O. or is this like because they've been playing? Spray. Axe. Oh, axe. Oh. <laughs> oh. So many possible things. Ooh. Okay. Now Sorry. we know where it came from. A la Alan. Uh-huh. So Alan and Candy had a lot in common. They were both activists in their church. They both loved kids. They were both very outgoing. They were both married to people who were less outgoing. They're both married. They're both married, right? Oh, they both sang in the church choir. Oh my so gosh. there were lots of times also that they were... Uh, they're devoted. They were. They had reasons to be in the same place at the same time. So one night after choir practice, mm, yeah, because that I mean, gets you hot and bothered. Yeah, <laughs> Candy your vibrato him. was very I, sexy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Candy followed Alan out to his car and confessed that she was very attracted to him. To his balls. <laughs> yes, I confess I'm attracted to your balls. I cannot stop thinking about your balls. And this is where we put in the smooth my balls ad. Had we done it. <laughs> oh, perfect. Oh, God. A week later, at a different... Just a week later. Okay. A week later, she asked... She, that, she just she just threw that out there. I find you very attractive. Oh. Thank you for listening. And then, <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And then <laughs> A week later, she asked him if he would be interested in having an affair. Oh, my God. Huh. Would you yeah. be interested in joining the choir? Yes. Would you like to have an affair? Like, just will you sign so, this petition? Oh, there's also, a lot about the, these people talk very strangely. <laughs> we should have some dialogue. Like, we, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can right? we schedule our dialogue and let's, an affair? Let's schedule something. Right. Alan said he couldn't do that. He didn't want to hurt Betty. She had cheated on him once, and it hurt him very badly. Wow. Plus, Betty was pregnant. So at this point. point, she's pregnant with her yeah. second baby. Right. Oh. Candy said it's okay. She didn't want to hurt her husband either. She was only interested in sex, no attachments. Perfect. Oh, well, okay. well, in that case, right. all right. right. A few weeks later, which happened to be Candy's 29th birthday. Oh, man. Alan called her and said he had to run an errand in a nearby town. And would she be interested in meeting for lunch and further talking about her proposal? <laughs> Let's have some more dialogue. Have some more dialogue. Uh-huh. I, you're going to love this. Uh-oh. They spent the next two months discussing how and where they would meet. Wow. What they would do if someone saw them, the risks and hazards, and agreed there would be no emotional attachments. This is some serious risk assessment. (laughs) 
<laughs> they even wrote out a list of rules they would both adhere to. I can't. Masses. What? Especially writing it down, too. I can't sure. even. Oh, gosh. Where was it? How sexy. That it sounds, was so sexy. Yeah, really sexy. Oh, I must have accidentally deleted it. Oh, Shoot, no. Shoot, there was a quote that was just, it was beautiful. It was, they okay, so they wrote out a risk, a, a thing. Oh, man, there was a, a quote that I had from that book where it mm-hmm. said it was, it was the most meticulously planned out affair in the history of romance or something. <laughs> because <laughs> something romance is usually totally planned. Effect. It was like, right? Eventually, they actually started having sex. Wow. Before it was just discussions. Did they talk about, okay, I'm going to unbutton yours and you're, wait, no, I'm going to unbutton mine. Then I'm going to unbutton yours. Wait, I, no. I don't know. But I do know that they wrote out some of the rules. Oh, so I'm no. just like, um, is it rule number one? Don't leave right. like, a paper trail or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they literally wrote it out. <laughs> Three months after they started meeting up for sex, mm-hmm. Candy worried she was becoming too attached. Oh, Candy. And Alan started to worry that Betty was going to go into labor while he was with Candy and <laughs> wouldn't know. How right? caring of him. Yeah. I know, right? Uh-huh. So they decided to put their affair on pause. Okay. Because um, they also, they didn't just meet for sex. Like they, you know, they were like no attachments, oh. but they talked and they oh. left each other little gifts and oh. things. And she, he, they used to meet typically over his lunch hour. He would like take a long lunch, but to save time, she would make food and to bring it. Time. Like it was, <laughs> I know. it was very well planned. Oh my god! So yeah, I, like they actually, I mean, they they definitely became emotionally involved. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. So anyway, so they decided to put the affair on pause. Right? Candy threw a surprise baby shower for Betty. Oh God! How disgusting weird and awkward yeah and so callous almost yeah right like hey not everything's fine yeah happy baby yeah oh god you know how you been great i've seen Mm -hmm. your husband's penis too yeah Yeah. cool Mm -hmm. we should compare notes okay so okay surprise baby shower and then a few weeks after the baby was born they started the affair again oh my god oh yeah thanks for taking some time off that right. So it was like helpful. two weeks or so, you know, God. a couple weeks. That was his paternity leave. <laughs> exactly. Oh, basically. Ugh. Things started to get a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. Betty was becoming suspicious and upset. Mm-hmm. With reason. Mm-hmm. So Alan started talking to Candy about feeling like he didn't love his wife anymore. Oh, God. So they should stop the affair because he was not, he was not into divorce. He was like, we're not. We're not getting divorced, so... But he'll have an affair. Right, because they're not getting divorced. Okay. But it was... He was focusing too much time on his uh, affair, and he was falling out of love with his wife. You see where it was complicated? Yeah. You know? And then Candy got upset and confessed that she loved Alan. Oh, God. Candy, you were the one who said there was no attachment. Exactly, right? Things Mm -hmm. were... You know, but they didn't stop. They just discussed the possibility uh, they had some stopping. dialogue about they had some dialogue. yes they we need to plan it. out how to stop then betty started getting sick again oh, with yeah. her random oh, ailments with all and, her stress right yeah. was starting to get prescribed painkillers and muscle relaxers like she's going downhill so then betty and alan decided they were going to try the marriage encounter oh retreat. yes that's when they decided to do that right the probing and so they went away for the weekend and Candy took care of the baby. 
Oh, God, that'd be <laughs> scary. Okay, so they're going to go spend a weekend to focus on their marriage while yeah. his mistress cares for their newborn baby. Oh, <laughs> How is, no. twisted is that shit? That, right? No. The retreat successfully renewed Alan and Betty's feelings for each other, and they were both more invested in their marriage. Okay. Betty even became more outgoing with the other members of the church oh, and good. their flame group. <laughs> they have a group of them as in keep the flame alive oh god because that was what they oh, called the no. couples who had gone through I the marriage encounter like this is where the music starts them. yeah <laughs> keeping the flame alive <laughs> it's so bad right oh god the next time candy and alan met up they broke things off okay it seemed amicable they both agreed yeah yes okay but Candy didn't let on how upset she was over it. Oh, yeah. She oh, was really having a hard time letting go of Alan. Uh, yeah. She quickly found a new man oh, to start well, up an affair with, okay. right? Problem but solved. he became too needy too fast, <laughs> right? And she realized it wasn't really just the sex that she missed with Alan. She missed Alan. Uh, okay. She needed another married man who <laughs> also wasn't invested. Okay. So she broke it off after only a few weeks. And then she decided that she and her husband, Pat, should go to the marriage encounter. <laughs> I'm glad she finally came to this realization. I feel like she might be a little uh, too far gone. But yeah, that's, could that's be. Me. Could be. They went. The weekend went well, but it didn't have the same effect on them. And they really didn't have the same feelings of we should continue this like the gores did it was like yeah that was fun but we don't need to yeah follow up with this we crap, don't right? need to be married okay the flame group wasn't doing their job no they didn't mm -mm, have they, their mob well dance. they tried oh but they had flamed out <laughs> they had flamed out so they they didn't totally buy into the encounter uh, uh -huh. and betty invited them over for dinner one saturday night because she was like, hey, now you're part of the flame group. Oh, we God. should all have dinner together. <laughs> Let's flame. Mm, yeah, it's getting all kinds of twisty, right? I'm a little worried here. Alan and Candy spoke on the phone and they decided, you know what? It's cool. We can be friends. It's fine. Oh, no. They had the dinner. It was, it went all right. Weird. Right? Oh. It, uh, yeah. They're but playing okay. footsie. Uh, and say anything. They just said it was, sorry. Okay, no footsie. So, no footsie that I'm aware of. I don't, they didn't write about it. So, by the spring of 1980, the Gores were doing so well that they even managed a marriage encounter weekend for other couples. Wow. Keeping the flame they, alive. They drank the Kool Aid. They're all, yeah. All right, they're, <laughs> they're at the point they're giving out the Kool Aid. Right, exactly. Yes. Okay. But Pat Montgomery, Candy's husband, found a farewell love letter from Alan to uh, Candy, oh. <sighs> describing all his fond memories of their time together with great detail. Ah. So not just a, we have to say goodbye. He like described where they met and what I they did and how it meant to time. him. Yes. Ooh, okay. Pat confronts Candy. Oh, shit. He's not mad. He's sad and yeah. hurt. Oh, and yeah. says it's his fault. Oh. Uh, no. Right, right. And they decide, nope, that we're going to refocus on our marriage. Okay. Wow. Okay. But then on June 13th, 1980, Betty Gore was found dead. So, yeah, something didn't go right. Something didn't go right, right? Once Alan had confessed that he had an affair with Candy, 
She also then admitted to the police that they had had an affair, but it had ended. Okay. And they swore it had ended in the fall of 1979. So it had been like a good six months-ish. Okay. Maybe a little longer. All right. But the police had her come back in and she talked to them and they took Candy's fingerprints and it matched a bloody fingerprint (gasps) found on the freezer of the utility room. Shocker. Uh Uh-huh. Candy. Candy was arrested and charged with the murder of Betty Gore. And when she was taken into police custody, a guard noted that Candy had bruises on her legs and a deep cut on one of her toes. Ooh, she got herself. Ouch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Candy's trial started in October of 1980, which I feel is like really fast. Like sometimes it's like two years before anyone goes to trial. Nope. Her trial started in October of 1980. The courtroom was shocked to hear her enter a plea of not guilty by reason of self-defense. Oh, please. (laughs) Shock. And her lawyer, Don Crowder, announced that Candy would take the stand in her own defense. Oh. um, Right, which, you know, we hear all the time is a... mm, A no, no. They must think she looks really innocent. Right. Or something, Yeah. Don Crowder claimed that Candy could not remember what happened the morning she went to the Gore home. Oh. And he hired Houston psychiatrist, Dr. Fed. 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 Fadadine. <laughs> That's my problem. <laughs> he hired Houston psychiatrist, Dr. Fred Fazon, F-A-S-O-N, to put Candy under hypnosis three times to try to reconstruct the events of June 13th. Oh, geez. This was a big time for hypnosis, I remember. Oh, yeah. That was a big thing, right? This is the story that Candy told in court. And there's a little bit of paraphrasing in here, but I got this version of the story from that book. Okay. Evidence of Evidence of love. Evidence of love. The love probe. Which I didn't have a chance to read the entire book, but... I think I'm going to have to go back. You'll have to go finish it. Holy crap, right? Oh, yes. So this is is what basically what uh, Candy told the the court. Okay. Elisa Gore had spent the night at the Montgomery home, and Candy was going to bring her home around noon. But instead, Candy left the kids at Vacation Bible School to run errands. And her first stop was to the Gore's home. When Betty answered the door, Candy asked if Elisa could spend another night with them as they were planning to go see The Empire Strikes Back that evening. And she offered to take Elisa to her swim lesson that was later that afternoon before the movie. But she would need to grab Elisa's swimsuit. Oh, okay. So Betty said, okay, that sounds good. And she invited Candy inside. She offered her coffee, but Candy declined and said, no, I got another errand to run before I got to go back and pick up the kids at vacation Bible school. Because they're very religious Christian yes. people. I mean, following it to a right. T, those Ten Commandments mean a They're lot. They're doing awesome so far. Uh-huh. Yeah. The two women sat down at the kitchen table. Candy asked about the baby, but Betty had just put her down for a nap. They chatted about the Gore's upcoming vacation to Europe and a few other things. Wow. Then Betty started to explain that Elisa didn't like to put her face in the water, and so they used peppermints as a reward when she did. So you'll have to bring these peppermints. You'll have to give her a reward if you take her to the swim lessons. Okay. Okay. Candy again stated she had to get going and asked if she should go grab Elisa's swimsuit. Betty didn't move. Instead, her face went blank and she kind of started to stare off into the distance. Ooh. And she said, Candy, are you having an affair with Alan? Ooh, snap. No, of course not. 
Oh, she what? replied no. very quickly. What? No, of course not. But you did, didn't you? Hmm. Yes, Candy answered. But it was a long time ago. You know, like six, seven yeah. months. <laughs> it was so long ago. Like I barely remember ago. it. <laughs> After a few moments, Candy asked, did Alan tell you? But Betty just sat, didn't answer, staring off into Yikes. the distance. If, if, if this is even what really happened. Yeah, right. Because, you know, we don't really know. My guess is she may have suspected it and that just confirmed it. She didn't really have any proof or anything. So right. who knows? Maybe she found other mm. love letters. Mm. Yeah, it could be. Uh, they are very big on the dialogue yeah, of the like- letters. <laughs> well, the marriage encounter had them writing letters to each other. So they had oh. notebooks of letters. Oh, you know? no. Then Betty said, wait a minute. And she abruptly got up out of her chair and went to the utility room. She quickly returned, standing in the utility room doorway, clumsily holding a three-foot-long axe. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wait a minute. Sit still. I'm going to chop you. Wait here. Wait here. Meant to get the swimsuit, grabbed the axe by accident. (laughs) I mean, they're so similar. My bad. Candy stood up, Mm -hmm. just like at the kitchen, just kind of stands up, and Betty coldly said, well, don't see him again. Oh, <laughs> okay. Bye. Yeah. Can I get that swimsuit? Cool. <laughs> you know what? She can go naked. It's cool. yeah, I, my daughter's mind. got a suit she can borrow. It's yeah. fine. It's good. See you you're later. busy. I can see that you're busy. <laughs> you're busy. You got some chickens in the back. <gasps> so Candy said, under the circumstances, I think I'll just bring Elisa home and drop her right right after Bible school. Good, I, good Forget idea. Forget it. Yeah, never mind. I'm just going to. Scrap the movie. Whatever. <laughs> No, said Betty. I don't want to see you anymore. Just keep Elisa and take her to the movie because I don't want to look at you again. Bring her home tomorrow. Betty set the axe down against the wall, walked past Candy towards the hallway and said, I'll get a towel from the bathroom. You get Elisa's suit off the washer. Okay. Candy went into the utility room, took the swimsuit off the top of the washer where I guess it was. When she turned around, Betty was standing behind her. Oh, Jesus. You know, like when you turn around and they're just like ah, right there. Yeah. Right yeah. okay. In her normal speaking voice, like all of a sudden she snapped back out of it or whatever. Betty said, don't forget Elisa's peppermints and <laughs> handed the towel to Candy. <laughs> candy said, that's OK. I have some peppermints at home I could give her. But Betty gave her handfuls of candy and Candy just put everything in her purse. Candy took the candy. Yeah, that was weird. Candy took the candy, right? Put everything in her purse. And when she looked back up at Betty... She saw an expression of pain and sadness. Okay. Not surprising. The drama has hit again. Yes. So Candy placed her hand on Betty's arm and said, oh, Betty, I'm so sorry. Don't touch her. Mm, No, no. That was a bad. We believe. This enraged Betty. Yeah. (laughs) And she shoved Candy backward into the utility room. Betty grabbed the axe by the doorway and rushed in after her, this time holding it like a weapon and screamed, you can't have him. I'm going to have a baby. You can't have him this time. Oh, oh, this time. Candy said, Betty, don't and grabbed the axe's handles. They both have their hands on the handle. This is stupid. I don't want Alan. (laughs) Which is kind of insulting, actually. Yeah, totally. I don't want your 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 sloppy seconds anyway. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Not the time no, to, no, you know. No, let's not deepen the wounds. Betty starts to jerk the, the handle her way. Like, they're, they're kind of, like, mm, struggling okay. over it. And she says, Betty, don't do this. Please stop. And Betty says, I've got to kill you. <laughs> well, Carlin, you may <laughs> right. as well just sit down and take it. 
Right. This is the dialogue that I wrote out. Right. <laughs> this is my plan. So again, this is all, this is what they put together from Candy's hypnosis oh, that she's right, telling on right. stance. This is all from her point of view. Betty then jerked the axe upward and the flat side of the blade hit Candy on the side of the head. Ow. And Candy stepped backwards into the utility room, touched her head and saw she was bleeding. Um, and then she looked and Betty now has the axe raised up over her head and Yikes. swings it down towards Candy. But Candy jumps out of the way and like hits the cabinet and the axe comes down and missed her entirely and hits the linoleum floor. But when it hits it, it kind of bounces. And when oh. it bounces, that's when it slices Candy's toe. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. These are the things that I think about when we go do that axe throwing. I'm like, I'm going to yes, lose a toe. I know. I'm going to lose a toe. I know. It um, and they tell you not to wear open-toed shoes, but I really feel like that's uh, uh, yeah. barely going to do anything. Not. Yeah. Still toe. Wear still toe boots. <laughs> right. So then Candy grabs the handle of the axe and the two women start to fight over control of it. Okay. And Betty starts kicking and kneeing at Candy's legs, which is Jesus. probably how she got all those bruises oh, on her, right? that would make sense. Then she bit Candy on the knuckle. To oh. try to get her to let go of it, right? Yeah. So Candy shoved the axe against Betty's body with all her might, and Betty tumbled backwards against the door of the freezer. As Betty struggled to regain her balance, she turned away from Candy, who brought the axe up over her head and brought it down on the back of Betty's head. Oh. She does that. Candy drops the axe and tries to leave the utility room. But Betty got back up. Yeah. You know, like in a slasher movie. Uh, where they get yeah, they up. get back up. She gets back up and picks up the axe while blood is coming uh, from her head, right? Uh. Candy begged Betty to just let her go, but Betty replied, I can't. <laughs> we already started right? this thing. Oh, yeah. We're in it now, you know. Oh, Jesus. Candy grabs the axe again and they wrestle over it, but the floor's all slippery. Oh, all been- blood. <laughs> I know, right? Oh. So Betty grabs Candy's hair with one hand. <gasps> Candy shoves Betty hard and jumps to her feet and then tries to get out through the garage, right? Mm. She tries to go to the door okay. of the garage, but it's locked. Ah, she turns around like back to movie. Betty. I know. And says, please let me go. I don't want him. <laughs> I literally don't want I, your I, I don't even so want gross. him. Apparently, Betty's eyes flared. She placed one finger over her lips and said, <laughs> which is pretty creepy okay I'm gonna kill I just you now. Say anything. Shh, right? it's okay honey she does that okay. and a rage took over candy mm-hmm. she jerked the axe away causing betty to lose her balance and fall backward oh shit candy is now full of adrenaline and hatred and she brought the axe down on betty 40 more times yeah, 40, uh, yeah, 4 40. zero. It's not like I, I had to hit her one more time and then I could leave. It was she hit her bam, 40 bam, bam, one bam. time. Yeah, she a just a lot of work. So back to the courtroom. So she finishes with that. Courtroom is silent. <laughs> yeah, <I bet laughs> right. Everyone's As they're like, like Whoa. Whoa. Candy's lawyer Don Crowder asked Candy, "When you went over there, did you mean to kill her with that axe?" Candy replied, "No. The axe had been entered into evidence." So he picked it up and showed it to Candy. Okay. He said, this axe right here. And she said, don't make me look at it. And he held it higher and kind of thrust it towards her. Oh. And he goes, you killed her with this axe right here, didn't you? And she burst into tears and said, yes. Oh, my God. Was the axe already at the scene? Do we know? I think it was 
They didn't say. It was there. I'm guessing it came from their garage. Yeah. Because you can get to the garage. That I mm, I don't know. But then the door was locked. I don't know. Unless they keep an axe in their utility. Yeah. I, I, don't, mm, I don't know. Interesting. So then her lawyer had her describe, had Candy describe how she then went down to the Gore's hall bathroom, got in the shower, still dressed, and tried to wash the blood out of her clothes. <sighs> she dried off and fixed her hair. Oh, got out the blow dryer. Right. right. Yeah. Then she grabbed some towels and went into the utility room and started scrubbing the floor and the freezer door, what? but realized she was just creating a bigger mess. Yeah. So she stopped. Oh, she just God. was like, well, this isn't working. Then she got in her car and drove home in her wet clothes. Oh, God. She left she gets the home, baby, by the left way. Left the baby. Yep. Went mm-hmm. home, soaked her blouse to get all the rest of the blood out dried it, changed, put her blouse back on, same blouse, changed into a similar pair of jeans, bandaged her toe, and put on tennis shoes. And then a few days later, she took the sandals that she had worn that Mm -hmm. had left the bloody footprints and destroyed them with some gardening shears and threw them away. So they are long gone. Wow. Then she went to the store like she originally planned Mm -hmm. and purchased greeting cards for Father's Day. Wow. And then went back to vacation Bible school as it was ending. La, picked la, up la. the kids. I'm they went to Christian see Empire woman. Strike Back. They, you know, everything was just, you know, a couple hours later, Alan started wow. calling. Do you know oh, who Betty is? Oh, my God. After Candy testified, her lawyer called Dr. Maurice Green, a Dallas psychiatrist, who started seeing her after she had been hypnotized and all this okay. revelations came out. All, she started remembering everything. Uh. He testified that after the killing, Candy had a, the cause of the killing was that Candy had a disassociative reaction. Like she was able to take herself out of her body, basically. Where a person induces amnesia in themselves in order to suppress intense anger or rage. Okay. When they did that, then the trial was suspended until Candy could undergo a psychiatric evaluation by a court-appointed doctor, and then it resumed in a few days because she was found competent to stand trial. So they're like, okay, we're moving forward, right? So then the defense called Dr. Fasson, or whatever, the guy who would- Fazbear. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Freddie Fazbear. So he testified that in his hypnosis sessions with Candy, it was revealed that when Betty said, shh, it triggered Candy, and she age-regressed- to a traumatic event that happened when she was four years old. Four? Wow. <laughs> she right. remembers that. Holy cow. That's impressive. When she was four, apparently- Someone shushed she, me. It, uh, oh, they did. She oh. was such. Nobody puts candy in a corner. Yeah. <laughs> Poor candy. How dare you shush me? Don't shush her. When she was four, she and an older boy were racing to a water pump to fill a jar. Okay. She lost the race. And she was angry, so she smashed the jar against the pump, and the jar shattered, and a piece of glass flew up and went into her forehead. Jesus. So she's bleeding. She's four. She's bleeding. Her mother took her to the emergency room for stitches. Okay. She was scared by the blood and the needle, and they had to to hold her down while she kicked and screamed, which- Oh, God. I totally get, because I actually was four when I got stitches right above my eye. Ah. And 
they had to put me in, they called it like a papoose thing. It was like, it was, it was a like straight a baby jacket. straight jacket, right? <laughs> and I remember because it was by my eye, uh-huh. I remember them putting like the sheet over oh. and I remember them coming at me with a needle. Ah. And that's the last thing I remember. Yeah. It's the last thing I remember. And I also remember being horrified. Like, I didn't realize I had cut my eye until I went into the bathroom and turned on the Uh, light and saw, uh, you know, head wounds bleed. Yeah. And I just was like, you know, so, so I understand this, this was traumatic. I get it. Yeah. So, but anyway, so they're holding her down and she's kicking and screaming and her mother was embarrassed and said, Mm -hmm. shh, what will they think in the waiting room? Well, yeah, because okay. that's what's important. <laughs> like, my Not child like, is going to be okay. You're going to yeah, be fine. No, 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 no. Because back in those days, it was yeah. all about you everyone know, else is going to appearances think I'm a and well, what are people going to think of like, us? Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You need to be quiet. Never mind the fact that this is horrifying oh for you, right? Never mind. I have to shush you. She was so shushed. it took her back to that, and she felt <laughs> like she needed to commit murder. <laughs> So All right. The, mm-hmm. So the doctor testified that Candy's blind rage was the result of the association of pain and blood with the sound of shh. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I gotta finish. <laughs> oh God. Oh, oh my God. And that's, that's a, the a need lot. to get rid to rid herself of the suppressed. Mm. rage that had been building up for 26 oh i'm sure i had so much rage from being (laughs) shushed and that one moment i'd never been shushed again after only a few hours of deliberation the jury found candy montgomery not guilty what no i'm not i'm not kidding you i am not kidding you the not i don't actual. know if it's because she looked mousy and she was a mother and she was active in the church i don't know what but what? not guilty so not and they well she was charged with first degree murder i guess i feel she should have gotten like manslaughter uh, yeah second degree like it Something. wasn't pre-planned it wasn't premeditated no she went she walked what that's this woman insane was half her face and her body oh my god yeah. by 41 blows of an axe and she walked. she gets nothing wow nothing and left um, a baby for two days or whatever and left it and left Aww. a baby so the public was shocked yeah and they shouted murderer as totally. she and her husband left the courthouse soon after the trial the montgomery's moved to georgia Okay. Obviously, yeah, you're not going to stay in the same place, right? right. I know you're going to be torn up about this and surprised, mm. but they mm. eventually did get divorced. What? That's shocking. How? I know. I, I'm so surprised. I know, right? Yeah. Candy went back to her maiden name Wheeler, so now she goes as by Candice Wheeler. Oh. She is still in Georgia now, and she and her now adult daughter Jenny. Oh. They work as counselors. They counsel <gasps> teens and adults who are battling depression. <sighs> And battered women. Oh, my God. Just make sure you don't shush her in a session. Holy shit. end up right? dead. Wow. I, I can't. Was like, what? No. Okay. And if you think that's bad, Alan Gore started dating Elaine Williams, another woman he knew from the church, two months after <sighs> two Betty's months. murder. Two months. Okay. So she was murdered in June. <sighs> okay. They started dating... Two months later, so June, July, August, 
Oh my God. Candy's trial started in October and it said that he and Elaine were married before the trial started. Oh, so it hadn't even been disrespectful. I mean, like six months. Like he can't make it on his own at all. He has to have someone in his life. He's that he married disrespectful. Somebody else, right. Wow. Shockingly, he lost custody of his two daughters. Yeah. To Betty's parents who okay. raised them. They have since both changed their last names. And again, shocking, Alan and Elaine also divorced. They didn't make it either. Weird. He's now living in Maine with his third wife. Oh, God damn. <laughs> I, Maybe stop trying. Yeah. I always think after two, you probably don't have a good chance of having anything work out. But oh my I God. could be wrong. I, I don't know. In 1983, the book Evidence of Love, A True Story of Passion and Death in the Suburbs, was published about the case. And in 1990, the story became a made-for-TV movie oh. starring Brian Dennehy and Barbara Hershey. Oh, my God. Called A Killing in a Small Town. I, that I did wow. not watch. Huh. Yeah. Because I figured that was more of a made-for-TV drama. Yeah, and I wanted probably to have not. more of the facts, right? Yeah. And then my last little tidbit is in 1999, defense attorney Dan Crowder committed suicide. <gasps> so it didn't go into specifics, but... Some people wonder if he thought that maybe he helped a murderer. Yeah, get free. So that is the story. Oh, and also it was not that easy to find information on this case. Interesting. Outside of this book, because she's like not in murderpedia.com because she wasn't convicted of murder. Yes. (gasps) That makes sense. Oh, I so and it's not like they it. went back and found right. So th- she's not on Murderpedia. Um, there's not a Wikipedia page on her. Wow, none How of that. Sad. I had to find articles and stuff. I watched. There was an ID episode of um, what was it? The Secret Lives of Stepford Wives, but it was like like a grossly God. overdone. Yeah, Candy yeah. was this like psychotic. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, this doesn't really. <laughs> Those are very dramatic. Oh my yes. God! And they made Betty out to be like this. I mean, angelic it was, cherub it was awful Ooh, it was yeah, no. yeah. so I, there was that i watched yeah i watched it but i was like this isn't really you know uh, so some of them are really cheesy yeah my sources are yes. really evidence of love okay the book which was done by two reporters john bloom and jim atkinson so they did a whole bunch i mean it was written more like a it was written like a story mm-hmm. instead of like a non-fiction thing it was written more like a story but they said that they did a lot of interviewing and stuff and it was pretty as close to the truth as I could get right I also got information from texasmonthly.com soapboxy.com starcasm.net that's hot (laughs) and popsugar.com oh popsugar it's almost like tiger beat (laughs) (laughs) what is Jason Bateman up to today (laughs) what is Candace Wheeler doing now And thank you for listening. Yeah, if you all made it to the end of this episode, thank you for listening. I I hope you didn't have to eat anything tonight or... Let's hope not. Good God. Right? Oh, my God. Or the next few days, probably. (laughs) Next few days. (laughs) All right. Well, check out our website, odfnpodcast.com. Yeah, you can see what uh, Miss Candy Montgomery looks like. Yeah, I did need to see the poodle hair because I'm guessing poodle hair. It's got to be poodle hair. Absolutely poodle hair. Like yeah. very much like little orphan Annie, like the whole. Oof. Yeah. You can also see pictures. We'll post them on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Come visit us, like us, share us, tell people about us. Yes, um, please. Remind them not to eat before they listen to this episode. 
Well, thank you everybody for listening. We will, uh, we'll see you next week. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye. To see images from this story, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ODFM Podcast or on our website at odfmpodcast.com, where you'll also find a link to our merch store, where you can get awesome stuff like t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and more. And if the weekly podcast just isn't enough to fill your ODFM cup full, join our fan club on Patreon for more content like minisodes, bloopers, and discounts at our merch store. That site is patreon.com slash odfmpodcast. And if you do love our bloopers and need more than we naturally do, which is a lot, buy us a glass of wine at buymeacoffee.com slash ODFM podcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of ODFM, hosted by Kelly DeVries and Jenna Swanson. Production and editing by Kelly DeVries. Theme music by Eric Swanson. ODFM is a satirical true crime podcast for entertainment purposes only. The stories you hear are serious and true. The comments and opinions are not. We apologize if any of our content is harmful or disrespectful.